0: Good evening, everybody. We're here to discuss Shaw, Nietzsche, Man, and Superman. And you've read who we are, um, so I would just say that we are Michael Holroyd, distinguished biographer, whose four-volume biography of Shaw has a shorter version, which is on sale in the bookshop, one volume, and Keith Ansel Pearson, who is a lecturer, a philosopher, and a lecturer in philosophy at Warwick University, specialising and having published a very great deal about Nietzsche. So these are the two people who are going to enlighten us. Who who better to do that? I'm going to ask each of them to speak formally, first of all. uh, And then when they've done that, we're going to have a conversation among ourselves. So let's get on with it.
1: Keith. Thank you. Okay, I'm just going to say a few opening words about a possible influence of Nietzsche on Shaw and the play. Let me begin with two citations from the play. So this is from Act 3. Are we agreed that life is a force which has made innumerable experiments in organising itself, that the mammoth and the man, the mouse and the megatherium are all or more less successful attempts to build up that raw force into higher and higher individuals, the ideal individual being omnipotent, omniscient, infallible, in short, a god? The second one, a short one from the Revolutionist's Handbook, Our only hope, then, is in evolution. We must replace the man by the Superman. With his ideas on the death of God and nihilism, Nietzsche is perhaps the most provocative of all modern thinkers. His idea of the Superman is one of his core ideas, but also one that is deliberately open-ended, suggesting different things to different readers of his texts and with a number of possible meanings and interpretations. In this spoke Zarathustra, He has Zarathustra declare, God is dead, all gods are dead, now the superman shall be the meaning of the earth. Later in the book, he asks us to remain true to the earth and that our will to truth remain bound to the humanly conceivable and the humanly palpable. We could not create a God, he says, but perhaps we can create the superman. We could not create a God, but perhaps we can create the superman. God is a thought that makes all that is straight crooked and all that is stands giddy. Would time be gone and all that is transitory be only a lie? More, he says, I call it mesanthropic, all this teaching about the one and the perfect and the unmoved and the sufficient and the intransitory. I take the Superman teaching to be a relational teaching. That is, it works in specific contexts in Nietzsche's writings and it does not possess a single meaning. It certainly means striving to go beyond the human all too human and aspiring to create something superhuman. But precisely what this is seems to be context-sensitive. For example, consider the discourse in Zarathustra entitled The Pale Criminal, where it is appealed to in the context of the need to transcend human all to human instincts, such as revenge, in favor of superhuman virtues, such as mercy. Now, here's my contention for tonight, my contentious point, is that what I think the Superman does not denote in Nietzsche is some evolutionary or biological conception. And yet it is with this idea that Nietzsche is associated in the actual play. In Act Three, for example, Nietzsche's name is invoked in connection with what Shaw has, called, has described as life force fanatics, which is an interesting choice of phrase. Interesting because Nietzsche said that he had little that was fanatical within him. Here, Shaw, in his play, and in his borrowing of the idea, seems to me to be more influenced by vitalist thinkers, such as Henri Bergson, than with Nietzsche. Why do I say this? I say it because Nietzsche explicitly states the following. This is from Dawn or Daybreak of 1881, where Nietzsche has the following phrase, evolution aims at evolution and nothing else. The idea of a life force that has stages to its evolution or becoming, that seeks more and more to perfect itself, reaching our apogee, with self-consciousness or self-understanding is alien to Nietzsche. For him, the idea that life has some intrinsic meaning or purpose to it is but one more shadow of the dead God that we need to vanquish. There is no meaning or purpose to evolution for Nietzsche. It is not moving in any direction, and it yields no sense or purpose. It is difficult to associate the teaching of man and Superman, as expressed by Tanner and in the Revolutionist Handbook, with Nietzsche. Nietzsche well, may well be a kind of revolutionary thinker, but is at the same time a thinker who is deeply anti-revolution. The handbook begins by declaring a revolutionist to be someone who desires to discard the existing social order so as to try another one. But he and Nietzsche signals words of caution and favors instead of revolution, a program of what he calls "slow cures," and small doses. Let me read from dawn again or daybreak. It's called, the aphorism is called Small Doses. If you want to effect the most profound transformation possible, then administer the means in the smallest doses, but unremittingly and over long periods of time. For what great things can be accomplished at one fell swoop? Thus we want to guard against exchanging head over heels and with acts of violence, the moral condition we are used to for a new evaluation of things. No, we want to keep on living in that condition for a long, long time until we very late, presumably, become fully aware that the new evaluation has become the predominant force and that the small doses of it, to which we will now have to grow accustomed from now on, have laid down in us a new nature. Finally, let me venture the contention that Nietzsche is perhaps closer in the play to the devil than he is to Tanner or Don Juan. The devil says two things that seem to me to resonate with Nietzsche. Firstly, the devil says you think Because you have a purpose that nature must have one, and he's questioning that idea. And secondly, I prefer to be my own master and not the tool of any blundering universal force. Thank you.
0: Thank you,
2: Keith. (laughs) Michael. Well, I rather agree with Keith, but I'll pretend not to. (laughs) Uh, The difficulty now is how to get rid of me Nietzsche wrote that in the late 1880s and Shaw would absolutely have agreed with this but after calling his play Man and Superman it was assumed because of that word Superman that he was a disciple of Nietzsche's Uh, but he didn't choose the word in order to endorse Nietzsche's philosophy but simply to strengthen the title of his play with a suggestive uh, confrontation of ideas. Now it's true that in his letters and prefaces Shaw used Nietzsche's name quite freely, together with uh, a number of well-known writers, uh, including Goethe, uh, Shelley, Tolstoy, and many others. But we don't think of him as being a disciple of Tolstoy uh, or of Goethe, who also used the Superman in his Faust. The were two reasons why Shaw made lists of uh, writers' names. One was because he was anxious not to be seen as a solitary eccentric, but part of an international zeitgeist. The second reason was that he thought Britain was becoming too backward and inward-looking. To change that focus uh, within our island, he looked abroad. In his art criticism, he gave special attention to Whistler. In his theatre criticism, he blew the trumpet for Ibsen and later Chekhov and Strindberg. In music, the only contemporary British composer for whom he had any time was Elgar, whose music uh, had initially been welcomed in Germany. There is only one of Nietzsche's books that Shaw read in translation and reviewed. This was in his 40th year, uh, some three years before writing Man and Superman. The book was Nietzsche contra Wagner. He gave it a devastating review. Such a philosopher is as dull and dry as you please, he wrote. It is he who brings his profession into disrepute. Nietzsche is the champion of privilege, of power, and of inequality. Now, there are obvious differences between the two writers. Man and Superman has as its uh, subtitle a comedy and a philosophy. Uh, people read uh, Shaw for the comedy, they read Nietzsche for the philosophy. Nietzsche was an academician in the sense of having, Shaw believed, a great deal of second hand book learning about him. Shaw himself never went to a university. Nietzsche came to believe sometimes in the usefulness of war. While Shaw was continually trying to take power away from men with guns and hand it over to men and women of imagination and intellect, even in Pygmalion, which of course was written shortly before the First World War. He tried that. Nietzsche thought that convictions are prisons. Well, Shaw loved his convictions, uh, one of which was the equality of income. But it's true that both of them, together with many others, faced a somewhat similar problem. How could we evolve so as to avoid self-destruction? Shaw believed that women should have as many children as they wished, but not by the same man. He wanted to break up the endless repetition uh, and protection of class and nationalism. Um, There is in his preface to the play uh, this belief that uh, uh, women should have as many uh, children as they want, but not by the same man. Why wasn't it in the play? Because of the censorship. He already had had plays censored and not put on stage, so he had to be careful. He also put his hope in the sciences uh, uh, in in the play, which he thought would enable us to live several hundred years in due course and completely change our focus and understanding of what was necessary and desirable. Quite useful, shall we say, if we are dealing with global uh, warming. Uh, None of this... Was on Nietzsche's menu. Uh, in a letter to an American philosopher, Archibald Henderson, shortly after the opening of Man and Superman, Shaw wrote Nietzsche's notions of art, his admiration of the Romans, etc., are very unlike my view, uh, and his erudition, I believe, to be nonsense. Finally, in concluding his review, he said, Not for a moment will I suffer anyone to compare me to Nietzsche as a critic. So we're sort of agreeing with one another. Finally, did Shaw admire anyone amongst his contemporaries? Was there a Superman living in his lifetime? The answer is yes. He did meet one. And that was Einstein. Here was someone who destroyed all the old sermons and the old absolutes, he thought, and introduced us to a new universe. The question I have is, Would Nietzsche have liked Einstein? (laughs) Would that have cheered him up? Uh, Would it have been some sort of help at the end?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things that's clear whether they agree or not, they're both involved um, by reference or as an author of this play and the ideas of this play. And to that extent, they're both absolutely men of their time, aren't they? God is dead, Mm. we have hope, what we have is evolution, and man is going to get better. That is really, perhaps, rather an out of date idea, is it? Mm -hmm. Keith?
1: Out of date today? Yes,
0: I I think we've probably given up on getting better.
1: I think we're very suspicious towards notions of progress. Mm. We seem to be sort of returning to some old ideas. Religion seems to be coming back in quite a serious way, which takes us all by surprise, I suppose especially Nietzsche's, I think, would be taken by surprise with his proclamation of the death of God. Not only the death of the Christian God, but he thinks that all gods are dead and should be dead.
0: So a man of his time, I mean, very much representative of that late 19th century thinking, wasn't it?
1: He was considered,
2: sure, uh, somewhat odd. Uh, I mean, he had great difficulty. He had a great readership. Um, And if he did it as humor, i.e. the comedy, He had a large, really large, readership, none of whom took him seriously. But if he did the philosophy, then he was. People realized he was a bit serious, but they didn't read him. (laughs) Um, So what he tried to do in this play was to bring the two together. Uh, in the dream sequence and so on, and see if that could work. And that's why he has that uh, subtitle, a comedy and a philosophy. Well,
0: first of all, it's an absolutely amazingly funny play, brilliantly done and hugely humorous. But then we have this slab of thinking in the middle, which rather changes the mood. And I Mm. wonder, in today's terms, whether you think that's successful, Michael?
2: I think that um, a lot of the audience would find it strange. Um, But I think they did anyway when he put it on at the court theatre at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, It was a success eventually, um, but he had many enemies. And a lot of people thought he could do amazing things, but he couldn't write a play. (laughs) Um, That's the one thing that he couldn't do. Uh, It's a shame that he tried to uh, do so much. He was a wonderful journalist. He... Music uh, critic? Orwell thought that he was really a novelist. His novels were much better than um, his plays. Um, So he he wasn't absolutely of his time. Uh, Or if he was, he did his best not to be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have, this is obviously a love story, a comedy between a man and a woman who eventually come together. She is the life force. He is sought out by her and eventually capitulates. I'm giving the plot away, but you might well have guessed it for yourselves. Um, I have to raise this issue of the new woman because it, it is a, a very extraordinary and striking picture that he paints of this strong woman, a lot of strong women in his plays. Is it successful, do you think, Keith? And is that part of Nietzsche's thinking? Well,
1: I thought you might ask me that question, yeah. (laughs) Which is a difficult one to answer. But I think what's interesting about Nietzsche, Nietzsche has a reputation of being a misogynist and being a very masculine philosopher, celebrating the masculine warrior-like virtues of heroic times in Greece and Rome. But what's interesting is that after his demise, he's taken up very strongly, including in Britain, by feminists. A lot of feminists have seen within Nietzsche resources that you can take outside of the context in which Nietzsche embedded them what? and appropriate them for independence, individuality, creativity, a new way of life. The, the ideas that I think Shaw himself is dramatising within the play. Well, they're, much, they're, they're far more one.
0: plausibly Shaw sure than Nietzsche, then, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and Shaw was very feminist.
2: Well, he, he campaigned a great deal for women to get the vote. Uh, he wrote a book, Uh, intelligent woman's guide um, uh, to socialism and and communism and so on. Um, He thought it ridiculous that women didn't have a vote. And what he did in his play is to turn, it's absolutely standard play with everything turned inside out. It isn't the man chasing the woman, it's the other way around. Mm. And whether that was of the age, it's... Of our age, <laughs> perfectly well,
0: There's a lot of, There was a lot of laughter of recognition in the audience. Yeah, I thought, I thought I I say
2: when I went to, yes, there was.
0: Um, but, but, this, but nonetheless, in the play, as it unfolds, I mean, it is, it is old-fashioned in that sense, isn't it? I mean, it, it isn't a feminist play that you would see today. It's about the interdependence and indeed the locking together of the male force and the female.
2: It's force. not a feminist play, nor did he mean it to be. Um, he didn't mean it to be. Uh, he was looking ahead in, the, in the, the third act or debating on what could be the future. And then we come back to the past um, and we have the normal play uh, with paradoxes in it. Um, but um, I, I think that um, it wasn't meant to be futuristic or anyway, anything like that.
0: This idea, dead, uh, God is dead, we have evolution. What did Shaw believe would happen if there was the emergence of a a superman? What did he want us to feel?
2: What he said was, I believe in the life everlasting, but not for the individual. (laughs) Nietzsche might have liked that.
0: (laughs) So he meant that humanity would go on getting better. Yes, there would be
2: energy going on, but he thought that we really p- probably would destroy ourselves. Uh, uh, he didn't know there were going to be two world wars and more and so mm-hmm. on. Uh, the, the weapons He knew the weapons would get more and more uh, uh, um, terrible. Uh, he thought we would come to an end. But that didn't mean all life would come to an end. Something would happen mm-hmm. uh, uh, because that was eternity. That's what he thought. Mm-hmm. There would be some life. Mm-hmm.
0: But he must have believed in science. If, the, if his superman... Uh, was Einstein. I mean, he he must have known and it believed. It gave him
2: hope, certainly. Uh, it gave him hope that um, people could think differently. Um, but uh, I'm not sure that it has yet, <laughs>
0: really. And did he acknowledge the scientific medical? I mean, he lived through an era in which, um, you know, people died early. There was um, enormous poverty and uh, early death. Um, people were subjected to... Um, humiliating ways of life in factories and so
2: on.
0: Um, Did he see social change? as Was he hoping for that?
2: Very much so, yes. Very much so. He, he, behind all the uh, wit and uh, criticism and so on, there's a very kindly man, kind to animals, kind to people he knew. I mean, not not, uh, in any way um, aggressive, except he wanted to be assertive in what he wrote. Doesn't hurt anybody. Um, he wanted to get people's attention. Uh, he wanted them to think again and see what would happen.
0: And now, where does Nietzsche fit into that? What was Nietzsche's hope for the future, for man, woman, and for the future of science and the planet?
1: Oh, Just one s- Local small questions, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Nietzsche is, this is where Shaw and, thing, uh, Shaw and Nietzsche really radically differ, I think, is that Nietzsche's vision of the future is of some aristocratic rebirth of the Superman, right. but it's, it's an elitist conception. So Shaw's got deeply socialist, yeah. democratic Absolutely. sentiments that Nietzsche does not have. So Nietzsche sees socialism and democracy as forms of social degeneration and decadence, what he calls decadence. So Nietzsche's an unashamedly elitist thinker. And that, so, was that
0: to come about through blood, or was it to come about and breeding, or was it to mm, come about through education?
1: Education, primarily education, and Nietzsche, even though he has references, they're not extensive to breeding, you find them in some of his late works like Beyond Good and Evil. Maybe it makes an appearance there. But it's primarily through education that he sees the change coming about.
2: But did he so, not have some idea that war could be useful?
1: I think not military war. He liked the idea of a well, war yeah. of ideas. Yes, a
2: power is his interest He in. talks
1: of a war of spirits. Yes a war of yes, spirits, yeah. so a kind of spiritual war, a war of ideologies and ideas would, could take place, there could be a competition between our ideas, and hopefully the best ideas will win out. But I don't think he's an advocate of military war. Though he, he himself anticipates a century yeah, of war. Yeah, he did. He indeed. says in Eci Homo that there will be war, which is 1889, he says there will be wars the like of which we've never yet seen on Earth. So incredibly yes. prophetic. Yes.
0: Um, He suffers, of course, and uh, perhaps deserves to, by um, people rather slickly refer to Hitler, don't they? Yes, yes. And blame Nietzsche.
1: Yeah. I think Nietzsche is is not part of that political ideology or movement, which I think is an incredibly sort of militaristic, racial ideology. And I don't think Nietzsche would want to be associated. He would have denied that? I think he would have denied that, yeah. On what grounds?
0: Would he have said, you you misunderstand me? I didn't mean warrior quite like that. Yeah,
1: I didn't mean it so crudely or so literally. And also the the racialism of National Socialism. I think Nietzsche would have found that not to his taste whatsoever.
0: It's difficult, though, if you say he didn't really mean his warrior-like behavior yeah. quite literally, yeah. what was it going to be like? Argumentative?
1: Argumentative, polemical competitive. polemical, competitive, his model of social relations is the Greek agon or the contest. So it's that model of competition, that Olympian model of competition that he has in mind in terms of how societies can progress.
0: And what would Shaw have made of
1: that? Well,
2: I, what, he, what he thought was that he had all his thoughts within a university. It was not in life. This he had even... little experience. And what he said uh, is exactly what you said. Mm. But once those ideas go out into the world, there will be havoc. There will be war because mm. uh, that, he, he didn't have that experience. He didn't yeah. know how it would be interpreted, yeah. Yeah. what would happen. No, there's so a that, certain naivety yeah. in Nietzsche's yes.
1: thinking, yeah. I think, yeah. isn't there, which... Indeed. Well, there's a
0: certain naivety about both of them, isn't there, really, because they have grand ideas, and that mm. involves being slightly, um, slightly generalised about the way the world might go, which yeah. is not very useful to yeah. predictions. But yeah. well, did you think that, that they were um, optimistic by default?
2: I think that Shaw was a deep, dark pessimist of the Irish side, with an absolute moral commitment to optimism. And this was the great difficulty, and this is how he had to play, play it, put it on stage, have drama. He is an, an, a pessimist trying to be an optimist. And there's a pathos in that, in my view.
0: And do you, and Maybe
1: Nietzsche might be similar to that. I mean, <laughs> Nietzsche talks about a, having a pessimism of strengths. Yeah. And what he doesn't like is the pessimism associated with something like Schopenhauer's philosophy, oh. which is deeply pessimistic. Deeply Indeed. pessimistic, Chopinow being the most miserable person that's ever existed on the planet. <laughs> but um,
0: happily, none is... of this gets into the play. <laughs> I mean, the play is hilarious. But that's is why I think Nietzsche comes fun. up with a
1: Superman idea, which is an optimistic idea—the yes. idea that yes. there can be this perfectibility of the human. What Nietzsche won't do is to ground it in any sort of evolutionary principles, like a life force. Yeah. That's the difference, I think. That's why I think Shaw's influenced by—I mean, Shaw called himself a creative evolutionist. So I think that's the key reference for me. Yeah. It, it indicates the, the relation is to and not to Nietzsche. And
0: that's very interesting, because at the end, of course, it is the woman, the life force, who grabs the man. And he backs away from this. He absolutely backs away, saying, no, 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 don't, don't grab me, don't grab me, and then succumbs.
2: Uh, yes, because he was all in favour, as I say, of people having children and so on, but marriage are between the same sort of categories of people. You just re- reproduce what's gone before. And that's what happens. Um, And uh, Tanner, who is is a a, a philosopher trying to to have this dream that we've seen, uh, is falling into just the old thing that everybody else does. They marry, have all children, they're all same class. Forget it.
1: (laughs)
0: Entropy. It has to be said that Ray Fines does look enormously like Shaw in the the (laughs) part (laughs) that he plays. Um, Some of you will have seen the play, some of you will be going to see the play. I hope this is enlightening both of you. We have to stop it now because, of course, we've got to get ready for the performance. Um, Please join me in thanking um, Michael (laughs) Horroy and Keith Ansel Pearson. Well done.